Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Footy Prime, the podcast presents the Sunday Recap with Brendan Dunlop and Craig Forrest. This week, Norwich fans get a cruel awakening. Liverpool drowns United, and Craig Forrest reminisces about the number nine. So put up your feet, let's wrap the week, and let's get this party started. Yeah, you thought once a week in Dan Wong's backyard in the tent and YouTube interviews with whoever wants to come on and speak with us was enough? No. Two podcasts a week, guaranteed a match weekend review with myself, Brendan Dunlop, and the legend himself, Craig Forrest. Craig, how you doing, buddy? How do you feel about our promotion to have our own Sunday night show? I love it. We don't need the other guys anyway. No, they just well, drag it down. Uh, they, really? they never show up. Five voices is too many. Having said that, we do hope that they show up at some point, and they will. It'll be a nice, <laughs> be a nice uh, smorgasbord. Um, we'll never have as many hosts as we've seen goals in the Premier League this weekend. Um, it started <laughs> the goal fest, I guess, started at the Emirates. It continued uh, in another part of London at Chelsea, and then the biggest surprise of the weekend, unless of course you're one of those lunatic Barcelona fans and you think that when El Clasico comes around you're going to get the Barcelona side of old the biggest shocker of the weekend had to be Manchester United nil Liverpool five Gregor what the hell was that it was amazing wasn't it it was absolutely unbelievable I've never seen anything like it and nobody else has either and Moussala with a hat trick and a special one at Old Trafford as well and Liverpool you know I think we all felt that they were a better side than uh, Manchester United, but I think they proved that they're miles ahead of that United side. And it's put their manager under a lot of pressure, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. By the time you listen to this, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer might not be the manager at Manchester United. But at the time of recording, he still is. And we can wager that he's probably not slept at all Sunday night. Certainly not slept well. I mean, it was wild. They just got absolutely battered. And you're right, going up against you know a proper team. This really was like the first time we've seen United go up against a proper side. And they got torn apart from the beginning. You could see at 4-0, you know, Salah turns to a few players in the celebration, just laughing like, is this really happening? Is this, we're just going to run through them like Drano in their own ground? And then, and then Ronaldo scores and you think, okay. Yeah. You know, something and... That is called off by inches. Denied a consolation. Yeah. We haven't seen that much, though, right? We hadn't seen VAR bring the protractor out much this season, and I was really enjoying that. So, to be honest, when they pulled that up, I thought, nah, this isn't 2020, 2019. VAR has fixed this. Allow it to stand. Give them something. And who knows? At that point in the match, Ronaldo probably would have bagged another one. But they pulled it back. Yeah, pretty impressive. Amazing uh, performance from Liverpool. I, I felt that, you know, when you listen to the broadcast and even the halftime, you know, obviously the United story is a massive one just because of the situation that they're in. But on the other hand, why not celebrate Liverpool? I mean, in that unbelievable display of football that is rarely seen at Old Trafford by an away side. I just thought it was more of a talking point than Manchester United, to be honest with you. We we know the United are struggling. We know what the deal is if Ole survives the weekend, which I think he probably will. But uh, a few more results like this, Brendan, we know that uh, we know how the business works and uh, he'll be out the door. It's funny though, right? How we don't praise the good. 
we're all so shocked by the bad that unless you are James Sharman and have a reason to highlight the good or go down the road of the goodness that this was for Liverpool, Mohamed Salah becomes uh, the all-time leading African scorer in Premier League history, topping uh, our friend Didier Drogba. That's pretty impressive. But you're right. It seems like the immediate attention is to highlight all the problems going on at Manchester United and how in this match, like everything just went just went worse, right? From that goal being called off by millimeters, as they say, first time I've seen VAR bring out the protractor, to Pogba getting a yellow card from the referee, and then it goes to VAR, and the look is like, oh, yeah, that's definitely a red. Like, send him off. Like, everything just went against them, and you you do never see it. I mean, fans filing out at halftime, you talk about the tone of the broadcast and at halftime how it was very negative. But I think it's because of that collection of, Oh my God, is this is this really happening right now? That it was hard in the moment for them to mm-hmm. look and praise Liverpool, unless you're Jamie Carragher, who I'm sure Gary Neville couldn't couldn't have paid. You know, there's no amount of money that he would not have paid to have got farther away from Jamie Carragher during that broadcast. <laughs> this is not the truth. Hey, you know, Ronaldo, there was a. It looked as though he was going to be walking on the, as, as well. Yeah, when he lashed out, luckily he make contact with the ball kind of <laughs> the shots of sir alex ferguson melting in the stands were pretty incredible weren't they and there's a great cutaway i think is on twitter sky sky i guess during the broadcast we're, we're looking at diff, different images i think we may have had the same commentary this week but we're looking at different images and it was sir alex just like couldn't get away it was in a southwest airlines commercial just literally melting in his seat and then kenny dalgleish looked like a drunk old man just so happy <laughs> yeah, you got a Merseyside's got to be absolutely buzzing this weekend. Buzzing. What do you think about Ollie then? You say that you feel he'll get a, a couple of results, uh, perhaps, or that seems to be the trend. You think he's going to survive the weekend, get a couple of results, and then we're talking about this again in a month? Or do you think he's that the leash is pretty short, that one more poor half, and maybe the axe comes down? I think we know what's going on right now, and what's going on will be. Um, I think he will make the next game, but they'll have their tentacles out everywhere and there'll be managers they're talking to at this present moment. Yeah. It's the nature of the game. Um, and they'll have somebody lined up because you know when he goes, somebody else is walking into that job within days. So that doesn't just happen overnight. Someone will walk in at hours. They'll, they'll make the announcement because Zidane's already there. Or whoever it is. <laughs> and I got to be honest, you know, before this summer, I, I really thought Allegri was going to stay unemployed. And that if Ali got the chop, it would be Max Allegri at United. I kind of thought that's how it would set up. I think that t- they'd be taking a gamble with Zidane. You know, like Zidane inherited a team that was on the cusp of winning the Champions League again. Mm-hmm. And was able to, you know, take... Cristiano Ronaldo and Benzema and this team of stars to uh, to the three-peat, right? And remain competitive. Then he left, much like Pep Guardiola left Barcelona, feeling like, look, I've really done all I can do here. I want to challenge myself. I need to test myself and just kind of be removed from this, you know, this pressure cooker situation that can only get worse. They couldn't possibly continue to top what they had been doing. They, they'd, they'd reached the absolute top. So he stepped away on his own. And then was dragged back in because they made the wrong choice in appointing Lopetegui as his replacement. And I think going back, you know, is something that he'll he'd never do again uh, or put himself in that situation. And he'd be up for a new challenge like United. But I think United would be making the mistake by taking a guy who hasn't really had to galvanize a group to get to this point. Obviously, the familiarity is there is Ronaldo, but is you know Zidane's a guy who's tactically we've questioned, and that seems to be the biggest slate on Ollie. He only made one change at halftime. That surprised me. Took Greenwood off for Pogba, who lasted, what, 20 minutes? <laughs> at halftime, down 4-0, you're only mm-hmm. going to associate. Aren't you supposed to at least leave the impression that tactically you're making a big change? Was you just going to ride it out? No, I agree. I thought he should have made some sort of change. Like you said, it wasn't enough. And I, I think, you know, people are going to look at this United squad and are they where do they sit and, and how good a coach does it take and does it take a good coach to be able to lift them um, like we've seen at Chelsea and I think that's what other ownerships are looking at right now seeing that 
massive difference when Lampard left and Tuchel came in and has changed that team completely around. And really, the Premier League has got to, you look at it now, as a, it's a three-horse race. I, yeah. I don't see anybody else other than those three. So um, United just trying to pick up the bits and pieces, see if they can get into your Europa League. <laughs> yeah, if they can. It, it is early, though. I mean, the battle for European places, we'll get to your hammers in a second. The battle for European places is very interesting already and will continue well through Christmas and that Christmas period. will You'll probably see things, I think, level out. I think you'll get a, a real you know, look at how things will be come the, the spring and, then, and towards the end of the season based on that Christmas period. It'll, it'll level things out a little bit. But it's exciting to see teams like West Ham and Brighton in the top five right now. These other teams kind of kind of scrambling a little bit, um, but Manchester United's recent comebacks, you know, really feel a long time ago, and feel as though that is not as reflective a representation of where this team is as Sunday's loss to Liverpool, going up against a real team, and they just got shredded from the beginning and had absolutely no answer. I mean, I know we tease you about nine nil all the time, but at five nil. Before the hour mark, did you think? Well, we're getting at least seven, like we did on Saturday. Uh, Liverpool played it out. I mean, even Klopp mentioned after the game about you know getting through the game without injuries, and 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 that is part of what was interesting about the nine nil was that games are usually played out that way because you're thinking of other things, uh, getting through the game least amount of taxing as you possibly can. You're not looking to score any more goals at that point, just to stay fit and healthy. But the Man United game, they were chasing goal differentials, so it was piling that on because if they could possibly get tied with Blackburn, they could uh, leapfrog them on that on that alone. So it was kind of a unique situation against a, a bunch of players like us at that stage were just lambs to the slaughter. Right. right. Well, Ollie will feel like that. When he looks at the the fixture list, at least they don't have anything midweek. Uh, if he makes it to Tottenham on Saturday, um, that'll be a big game. That's also the late one on Saturday, so uh, national attention, international attention. Both oh, those guys are under pressure. Oh yeah, Nuno, Nuno's got a lot to answer for. Uh, I'll I get. I, I like him too. I, I I was hoping he would be successful, but I thought he would be. But what a weird situation, right? West Ham beating mm-hmm. Spurs one nil. Mikel Antonio. Um, not taking Jamaica over the edge, but responsible for West Ham sitting fourth in the Premier League at the end of October, which is pretty incredible. The team high six goals. This was a big winner. But I guess I feel there are some scenarios where, ah, you know, that wasn't Nuno's fault. That it, it got away from them. But now here we are at the end of October, and I feel like you continually say that. And it's weird, right? That Spurs are the only team um, not to have drawn a game yet. Even Norwich has, has two draws. And Spurs, <laughs> Spurs just win or they lose. And when they lose, it's like, God, is this really where Spurs are at right now? Yeah. It, it, you know, I look at the way they play or the way teams play against them too, that if you don't allow space in behind for Sun and Kane to, to maneuver and get into the dangerous areas like that, they find it really difficult. And I thought they ran out of ideas. Yeah. And West Ham just kept that solid, you know, block, Defensively, looking for opportunities, created a few, and then and then uh, got got one on a corner. But uh, it could have gone either way. I thought the game, um, but I thought uh, Moyes and West Ham played uh, Spurs pretty well. I didn't think that Nuno Spirito Santo would look so out of ideas. Like really, at Wolves, he was saved a few times by the skill and the luck. Jimenez is a you know a top end finisher. I wouldn't say world class, but certainly top end. You've, he had players like Jota and um, Neves, Adama Traore, who can turn the game on on its head. But at Spurs on paper, this is a better side. He should be able to find ways to adapt if the four two three one with with Harry Kane up top isn't working. But I think that's the problem. It's like, well, it's not working with Harry Kane. So what the hell are we supposed to do? Yeah, and and I think with the Nuno is though he's gone to a club. Completely in a different situation than Wolves. I mean, Wolves were, you know, the sleeping giant that have come back into the Premier League. They've got lots of money to spend. They spend it wisely. They have a 
number of Portuguese internationals that uh, performed and entertained the home crowd. And it, it just worked out really well for him. Then he goes to Spurs and, you know, let's remember uh, Mourinho uh, struggled yeah. with this squad as well, trying different things, uh, trying to get that balance right. Uh, and Nuno slips in there and he's, he's having the same sort of difficulties of trying to figure out ways to break teams down. And now they've got that figured out where they're just sitting back on them and, finding it difficult to uh, get any uh, anything uh, at all. And Kane doesn't look, to me, the happiest camper around. Funny, right? Because Nuno's third to Santo falls in the category in, in multiple situations. Because at, at Porto, he didn't necessarily have the best team in the league, but he had them besting Benfica, who had spent considerably more money and always had more money to spend because they were selling off these gems after one season. Porto, obviously, in the same business, but didn't seem to be able to to benefit the same. He he always seemed to do more than expected, right? I, I don't want to say a lot with little, but a lot with less. And Wolves, that perfect example, right? Flirting mm-hmm. with European places well into the spring, um, getting into, into the Europa League a, a couple times. I think he turned Wolves into a side you expect to be in the top 10. And at Spurs... They became a sign you expect to be challenging for the Champions League every time. And when they miss out, as long as they're in the top six, then, well, okay, but next season they expect to do more. And again, it's it's more with less. As we know, he wasn't their top choice. And you look at this team on paper and some of the moves that other teams have made, Spurs haven't really got dramatically better to improve their place. And you look at who they're relying upon, Asan has improved. Considerably, I don't think anyone expected him to be a number one guy. If Kane left, Son would be a number one guy. But who would they replace with that money? And Kane hasn't left, and he's he's just a shadow man, which is shocking to see. Yeah, he looks like a, a little grumpy. He used to always play with a smile on his face and seemed to be enjoying his football, and now he just looks absolutely distraught, like he's really wanting to be on a side that is challenging. And I'm, yeah, I, I know he's desperate for Spurs to do really well. You know, he wants them to do well. He wants to be part of that Spurs team that does well. And, uh, yeah. and then also we got to remember that, you know, that new stadium has cost them an awful lot of money and put them financially into some uh, some difficulty as well. Well, having to be, um, be careful in the transfer market, uh, certainly over the next few years. And I don't think the pandemic helped them either. So, you know, not making excuses for them, but there are some things around the, the Spurs situation that it hasn't been perfect. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll see how they finish it out. But you're talking about Harry Kane looking disinterested, and maybe that's why they're sticking to the four-two-three-one, like hoping they can get him back, as opposed to trying to experiment too much or, or push him. Deitch made a, a point on one of our recent podcasts was at Preston, and he hadn't scored in nine games, and he thought, oh. Every, every time the manager came around, he thought, this is it. He tells me, I've lost my place. I'm going to take a seat. And the manager always backed him. And obviously, someone like Harry Kane is going to get a longer leash than other players. But if I'm Nuno, who has to look out for my myself now, maybe maybe you do sit him. <laughs> yeah. You do, you do that once, and if it works out and you pull off a couple of results and you bring him back in and it's, it works out really well. But if you pull Harry Kane and you lose the next couple of games, I think your leash gets really short. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it takes a brave man to do that. Really, really brave man to do that. I don't think he's, uh, he's going to do something like that. How are Norwich fans going to survive the rest of the season? Like, what, what do you do if you're a season ticket holder? You've paid your hard-earned money. You've bought a new shirt instead of buying braces for your children. <laughs> you got to watch your team get battered every week. 7-0 at Chelsea. I mean, everyone expect that was the lock of the weekend, right? Everyone expected Chelsea to win. But 7-0, that's a, you know, where were you when moment if you're a Chelsea season ticket holder, if you're a Chelsea supporter, right? I was there when Chelsea put seven past the horrendous Canaries. Yeah. They were horrendous, all right, Norwich. But I tell you, some of the football and the passing and the quality of the goals were just brilliant. Really, really were good. And it's amazing, right? Obviously, we know they have the depth and players who 
haven't necessarily got opportunities there at Chelsea that they would in other places, like Callum Hudson-Odoi. His goal to make it 2-0. That pass from Kovacic was unbelievable. And there was a few others, as you say, like just scintillating mm-hmm. football. And yeah. Ben, ben Chilwell is a, is a goal scorer now. Three straight <laughs> goals. Three, three straight games, excuse me, with a goal. Um, I really did feel for Norwich, though. I mean, right? Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. From that own goal, Aaron's own goal that, that Krull couldn't handle. Um, Gibson's red card. The penalty save, Cruel stops the penalty, and then VAR infringement lets Mount retake <laughs> it and score. Like, God. Like, relegated in September. That, that's a new low, right? Even for I, a team like that. I always think, too, you know, goalkeepers, you got don't bother coming off the line. Like, it's, you can't do it anymore. Yeah. You just, you, just, you know, you're, you're wasting your, your time. Because if it goes in the net, it's going to count. But if you save it, so you're you you're really not doing yourself any favors. You gotta you gotta work on that and even start now if you're going to try to dive outwards a little bit, um, start a foot inside. So when you take that step forward, your back leg that you're actually using to push off is on the line as opposed to a foot off it. Used to get away with that all the time, of course, but now, not now. Is it just an anticipation thing? Like in American football, when you see these linemen get caught offside, is, is it in the anticipation to that sends them forward as opposed to left or right, the side they've guessed? Well, sure, but it, 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 he's, a, he's a, a goalkeeper too that's got a history of saving penalties, but yeah, he there's no point in the new game that you have to make sure. And and if I was coaching guys, I would be uh, training that often, like having cameras on the line and taking penalties and getting these guys to make sure that, you know, nine times out of 10, they're not going to be encroaching on that line. Did you think that um, Chelsea might score 10 on Norwich? <laughs> Cause, you know, because we all did, obviously. Yeah, yeah. It looked as though it was possible. Yeah. If they wanted to, I think they could have. Right. What is it like for you? I know you must, like, you're such a good sport. You let us talk about this all the time. But when you see a team run up a score like Chelsea did, do you want them to top 9 nil? Are you, are you sitting there like, let's go? 10, 11, let's go. Well, we've seen a couple nines since now. Poor yeah. um, Southampton. At Southampton, that's got to be worse than 9-0 at United back in the – when they were yeah, a good yeah. side. That's that's not so bad. <laughs> yeah, and for Norwich, I mean, 7-0 against the European champions. They could probably stomach that. Yeah. Norwich are interesting, aren't they? How they, they go about their Premier League status every time they end up in the Premier League because they're a yo-yo club like you've never known, but they've – They've got to almost to they accept it. Yeah. You know, the gaffer has been there, got them promoted, relegated, promoted, and now he's still there and taking an absolute beating. What do they do? Uh, I mean, if it got really, really bad, they would make the change on that. But he's obviously done a very, very good job with the squad that he has. And 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 being that in-between uh, side that doesn't sustain itself in the Premier League, I'm sure they would like it, the two, uh, but it's a, it's a difficult uh, thing to do. And I think they've managed their finances well enough that they always leave themselves in a position to be competitive to at least get there. We've seen yo-yo teams in the past, West Brom, a great example, but never a yo-yo team that seems to be designed on a financial strategy in order to do that. It's as though being a yo-yo sustains them financially as a very large championship club, right? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. you know, gone are the days where Norwich, having been in a, in a larger city or, or having a large ground, therefore a, a good gate revenue, expected to contend amongst a lot of the teams around them. They're, they've fallen down the pecking order there. But mm-hmm. to have these parachute pe- payments the way that they do, to invest the way that they do, and continually strategically plot and map a team to be very successful in the championship, even though they're in the Premier League, mm-hmm. allows them to, you know, just come firing right out of the gates when they're back in the championship to come yeah, right back and up lot, and they sustain this business model. Yeah, they have. 
And it's partially because too, they, they, when they get promoted and these players that are going to get them promoted, know that, Hey, I'm going to be playing in the Premier League. They're not going to come in and sign five players and I'm going to be changed. Uh, that culture in a club the size of Norwich is doesn't work generally. Right. Um, so if you can believe in the players, just try to keep you there. And then if you don't, Hey, don't worry about, it. we're going to improve and uh, we'll be all set next year. And they, they pay pretty well at Norwich, not crazy money at Norwich, but they play well enough to keep players, uh, you know, sort of top end championship uh, money players at that club that uh, have stayed there for quite a while. I know it's crazy being an Aston Villa fan to just even give this hypothetical, but I think I would rather be a West Brom supporter in the sense that they're having a go in whatever league they're playing in. They're, they're trying to be better. They might come up short. They might do it wrong with a guy like Tony Pulis, but they're, they're trying to be competitive. The integrity is there, whether they can last 90 minutes or not. They're definitely playing with the integrity and respecting competition, but Norwich are throwing games. It feels like, you know, Norwich know they have no bloody chance going out against good teams. And you get results like that. What do you think they should do? Go out and spend 40, 50 million in the transfer window? No, I don't think they should. I don't think they should. <laughs> but I mean, I, I would love, you know, in our interview series, I would love to get some some soccer business head. I would like to get someone who's a, a real football person, works on the business side, and get their take on how they draft this. Because I can't think of another team, and there might be one in Germany. Someone will pipe in on Twitter or the YouTube comments and say, oh, this team in Germany has been doing that. You idiots only focus on the Prem. But I just haven't seen a team that seems so strategically built for the division below <laughs> than the division that they're in, which is which is the top. And it's just sustains them financially. So it's wild. Yeah, pretty ugly, though, when you're what, nine games in, you've got a couple of draws, no wins. Minus 21 goal differential. Oh, my God. I mean, they've got to be challenging Derby for the worst team ever. We'll, we'll wait until Christmas at least to, to map that yeah. out because at least they've grabbed a couple of results. But I feel for any Canaries fans out there and Jimmy Brennan. <laughs> what was the Derby uh, record? It was the worst. They, they went into that season. It was a really difficult time for them. There was a, quite a thing, few things around that where they – certainly weren't expected to be promoted. Mm-hmm. I believe it was through the playoff system, which allowed them very little time to, to prepare for the next season. They went 32 matches without a win. Whew. Just devastating. The fewest wins in a Premier League season with just one victory in 38 games. The most defeats, 29 losses. The fewest gold scores, they only potted 20. And the most conceded in a 38-game season, they gave up 89 goals. And the longest run without a victory, they went 32 matches. The earliest relegation ever. Officially, mathematically, they were relegated the 29th of March. God, the suffering. That's like a slow death. (laughs) You know, the only good thing, if you're the coach, as bad as it's been, if you win a couple games, you're right in the fight to get out of relegation. It doesn't look possible because they've just been absolutely smashed but they're five points behind Leeds which is the safety spot Burnley Newcastle who knows what's going to happen with Newcastle Watford could slip back in there can Brentford keep up their pace yeah you just you just got to hope to get a result to somehow and gain a little bit of confidence pick up three or four points in the next few games and everything can change but Newcastle were pretty lucky not to have lost at Crystal Palace. Christian mm-hmm. Benteke was amazing. The vintage Benteke. Old Villa Benteke. Yeah. I thought, I thought that VAR disallowed goal at the end, I thought that was going to stand. The home side seems to often get that call. Someone like Benteke, who, you know, it's so, so streaky, right? We haven't really seen him be consistently dominant. He was, he had a massive impact on that game. He gave, Kieran Clark and Newcastle's backline fits the whole game. He he really looked like he had something to prove, like he was playing for a contract. I thought they were going to allow it, and uh, and Newcastle are lucky to come away with a point. Don't you get that feeling with a guy like Ben Teke that he's he's at the club like Palace? No disrespect, because they're a 
solid outfit and a great organization, but he, if he could put those performances in nine out of 10 times, you know, he's not playing at palace. He's going, yeah. he'd be, he's going to be spending regular time at the big clubs. And because he never did it at the big clubs, that's where he's ended up, you know, but you and never know what you're going to get from him from day to day. No. And they spent a ton on him like four or five years ago, 30 oh, yeah. million. And they're lucky. He's lucky that he's been able to, you know, keep his weekly wage because he hasn't been able to put, you know, three of uh, five performances um, as consistent as that to to kind of earn that wage, right? So mm-hmm. he's he's fortunate that Palace have, have backed him and he's been able to still get minutes and get out there on the pitch. But yeah, I thought was totally deserving of uh, of that winning goal. Callum Wilson, though, his, uh, his bicycle kick into the top right corner, that was a special goal. That was a, a, a message to the owners, right? Easy big spenders. Like, we're good on forwards. Give me support around me. Don't don't take don't look to replace me. Do you think Newcastle are going to open the checkbook and just go crazy in January? Amanda Staveley and her husband. Did you see them? They're on their phones every time the camera panned to them in the stands. Agents surely, right? Oh, can you imagine what's going on there? <laughs> the phone every, bill. If you're tapping every. those phones, oh God, you'd be all over the place, right? All over the world. Yeah, MSB or whatever his name, MBS or whatever. Yes, he'll be yeah. he'll be uh, tapping into everything. No, but I think he's going to be no. He's going to enjoy the shadow role, right? He's yeah, provo- he w- he's providing the budget. I bet you he's not texting them at all. He's not. He, he wants nothing to do with it. He's just. He's going to s- celebrate at the end of the season in some you know off the map private island. But there will be there will be like no involvement in the club. He's going to no. be as removed as possible, and you're going to see Amanda Staveley's face everywhere. Uh, yeah, she she's going to be the one that brings out Zidane or Mourinho, or Lampard, or whoever the manager is. Mm-hmm. She's going to be the ones smiling and holding up the shirt for all their, their big money signings, and, and she'll be the, the spokesperson. And then her, her husband will be the one that we show in the stands all the time, like um, like the chairman at, at Man City, at PSG, and he'll, they'll be the face. You'll never see MBS. No. I think if you're a championship side, you want them to stay in the Premier League. Oh, yeah. You don't need them in that championship next year spending a whole bunch of money and so you're fighting against them as well <laughs> yeah the holland and mbappe in the championship next season <laughs> on a billion a week right well wolves uh, they, they had some big players and the, they brought over member for that championship season it wasn't matinho and, and patricio that was the year they got they won promotion yeah but yeah they, you're right they, they had a couple of guys that were top league quality somewhere and yeah would've, definitely would've... better than that championship level even though yeah. that league is is a good standard because everybody's trying to get to the promised land. Neves and Jota, I think we're on that team that won promotion. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see what Newcastle do. I mean, obviously they're going to be a story. Um, we were talking on the last podcast though. Charmin said that they must have a plan to be relegated. No, they don't. No, they don't. That's exactly why they're on the phones. They're not thinking about being relegated. As you say though, if they do, they'll just spend like crazy and absolutely batter everyone that they play. Um, as best as they as best as they can, as far as recruitment goes, they don't have a plan to be relegated. I wonder if they even know there is relegation. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Ted Lasso, right? I wonder if they've they've just like they've just started watching it and they feel like they've just oh what a gem we've discovered. Have you guys seen this show, Ted Lasso? Yeah, we've seen it. It's yeah, biggest, biggest thing going at the moment. They they, they might actually hire Ted Lasso. It <laughs> would be. They think, they think he's a he's a real coach. <laughs> Aston Villa look like a team that could use the positivity of someone like Ted Lasso right now. Did you see Friday? 4-0 loss at the Emirates. Arsenal looked like world beaters for for an hour. It's a frustrating game. Obviously, I'm incredibly biased. But, I mean, for Villa, same starting 11 that lost to Wolves. I like Dean Smith a lot. I'm not at all saying it's his fault. But just collectively, it's, it's frustrating to see you know Villa get a result like they did against United and seem to have put the pieces together to be a team that's not skipped a beat, not really felt the loss of, of Jack Grealish, or or can show that maybe they're not really as affected by the loss of Jack Grealish. I really like how they've spent. I like some of their pieces. They haven't had much luck in getting them all out there to to start their three new attacking pieces together. I think Emi Buendia could be a superstar in this league and uh, you know might not be at Villa for, for two seasons if he's able to stay on the pitch and shine and perform, but Villa didn't look like a team that was able to challenge Arsenal until the last 10 minutes, and it was just too late. Arsenal mm-hmm. were good, and Villa were not. Arsenal Easy. were very good. 
Yeah, that was the best I've seen them for a while. Good to see the fans uh, enjoying the day out for a change at Arsenal. Yeah. But Aston Villa, what is this, their second year or third year third. back? In, third year. And then we lost Grealish. Overall, I think they're not in a bad position. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they're 13th now on 10 points, but the table mm-hmm. doesn't matter at this point in the season. I think they're still, they still look like a team that, you know, should be top half, eighth, ninth, or 10th. And yeah, if they could string together some consistency and some luck when it comes to injuries, as I mentioned, you know, maybe they're knocking on that Europa Conference League door and, uh, and giving the teams in front of them a real run, uh, like we saw for, for parts of last season. But mm-hmm. I think, yeah, you're right. For those Arsenal fans, they can be really happy. Uh, with what they saw. I did feel for Amy Martinez. You must have too. Your goalkeeper union. You always feel for for your guys. That that's a that was a real crushing loss, right? He goes goes back to his old ground. The team that gave up on him didn't give him a chance. He's been amazing for club and country. And mm-hmm. and he wasn't particularly bad against Arsenal. It was kind of mm-hmm. everyone else in front of him. And he stopped the penalty, then couldn't <laughs> stop the rebound. And he beat himself up about that. And then Emil Smith Rowe gets a deflection. Emmy had no chance on the third third goal, and it was just one of those not yeah. all their day. He's been great. He's been really good. He is a he is a goalkeeper that just needed an opportunity and a place to play regularly. He's got all the attributes. He's got a really great physique. You know, he's got this presence about him, confidence about him, happy to be a number one goalkeeper, and. Uh, that penalty save was actually a really good penalty save too. Right, he's amazing. I'm glad that he's got the number one spot for Argentina, and you know, in my opinion, he's a top five goalkeeper in the Premier League without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, top top three maybe. Um, yeah, and for years he's just sitting there waiting for his chance. Right. One more point on that Arsenal match: Nuno Tavares started at left back for Arsenal. It was his first Premier League start, and he looked amazing. He he looked as impactful for someone who didn't have the experience as Saka did at the Euros. He was all over that left side, giving Villa fits. His overlap runs. He never he never seemed to really get caught out of position. Um, very much an attacking fullback. And for Arsenal, I'm interested to see how they how they work him into the mix. He, he's a, yeah, he's how a they get, that, how regularly they want to play him. You know, and uh, see how he is. Uh, against a side that's going to be putting them under more defensive pressures. Yeah, it'll be interesting, but certainly look like a, a player for the future, doesn't he? Holy cow. He's a player they should be really excited about. Producer Dan Wong's Brentford losing 2-1 to, to Leicester on Sunday. Yeah. I like Brentford, and I like the fight they put up too, right? Mm. You, if you just look at the result, you're not really surprised to see Leicester come away with a victory there, but Brentford always give you a battle. They're, they're not one of these sides that are going to get blown out and, you know, I don't think they're going to have too many days like Aston Villa did at Arsenal. Yeah, I don't think Brentford's going to have any issues this year. Um, it'll be next year yeah. when they, in their second year, whether you can sustain that that taxing emotional energy that the Premier League brings. And it's exciting. And they've done really well. I think they're with three wins, three draws, and three losses. And they compete really well at home. And they're worth watching at home. Exciting. And... uh Leicester, they were in a battle. They were in a real battle to to pick up the the three points there. What about Watford? Are they all of a sudden a must-watch team? 5-2 winners at Everton? Toffees looked like they were in control and then just got smacked in the face. Yeah, I'm watching that. I was like, Everton, I was like, yeah, look, yeah, looking good. Benitez got them all balanced here, looked pretty good. They didn't look in danger of anything happening. And then, holy cow. What a game. Defenders just decided not to defend and talk and communicate, and it just went sideways. Yeah, it was crazy. It was almost as if Everton thought, yeah, we're going to win this. Like, we can just take it easy. It reminded me of that uh, Anthony Joshua fight with the fat Mexican-American guy. Yeah. It's like, you're just expecting, he's just going to take care of business and then gets punched in the mouth and is knocked out. And like, <laughs> that, was, that was Watford. <laughs> I think Rafa Benitez is going to feel a lot of heat, and justifiably so. Well, that would have put them in a really good position. That would have taken them tied for fourth, Everton. They would have been looking pretty good with a result. It's amazing, you know, with just one bad result or in a position where you're looking like you're right in there, you're going to get into those Champions League spots. And right. the Premier League uh, will fire in a result like that. 
and a quiet fourth place too. If they'd done it, I think a lot of people would be like, oh yeah, look, Everton, you know, unlike West Ham, who maybe it's just us, we talk about West Ham all the time, but no, they, they West Ham do it with a bit of dramatics and mm-hmm. have a player like Mikel Antonio that a lot of people are talking about and Everton have some good pieces, but they've done it quietly this season so far. A lot more attention on other places, I think. Whereas last season, you know, with all the big names that they had with Carlo yeah. and Chilotti, they they got a lot more attention until they fell off. And now people aren't quite back on the uh, the roadshow until a Premier League winner like Claudio Ranieri comes and sees his side, punch him in the mouth. Yeah. I will Brighton, by the way. Brighton are in fifth place. They didn't look very good against City, though. No, they did not. <laughs> no. Did we get did we get into that? That was on my list. Yeah. As I, I'm trying to go anti Charmin here yeah. go with a like I say, Chelsea, Liverpool, and City, there's your, your top three. It's got to mm-hmm. be. And Pep Guardiola's found a way to have Phil Foden and Jack Relish play together. What a mind-blowing idea. They're deadly. I mean, aren't, obviously. Aren't they fun to watch? They really are. And it's and it's and what's fun is that it's a rotation of outstanding players, right, who yeah. can take their moment. You know, Gabby Jesus was on, uh, was on his game. Looks really good. And then, mm-hmm. as I say, Foden and Grealish playing together. I always thought it was possible. I was so excited by the prospect of them playing together for England, and uh, we hardly got to see it, you know, only in moments. So I think, yeah, for Pep Guardiola, they could be one of the deadliest duos in the Premier League. I think that Jack Grealish is still kind of learning his role in the side because he doesn't have to be the guy. Does Not everything has to go through him. So there are yeah. moments where you, you kind of see, I don't want to say his mind switches off, but where you... I, I think there are many moments for Man City where he overthinks and might hesitate or take one extra touch thinking, wait a second, I don't have to t- carry it front to back. I don't have to be the only one here. Let me use my other pieces. And that's perhaps why you're seeing him and Foden now click. Yeah. I thought it would take a little bit of time just on the back of the, the price tag. Yeah. That's, you know, it's stuck in your head and you're, you're, you end up not on the same level, but I remember when I was a youth player and they signed me on professional terms, but I was still on the youth team. But all of a sudden, I felt like I had to do more. And I remember the very first game after that, I think I came for a ball outside the box, like to head it or something stupid like that, like, and not sweeping, like just in amongst a bunch of players, like, I'm going to do everything. And just, you got to remember that, just remember why you're there in the first place and not, you know, and forget about the price tag. And now I think he's settling into the team. And can you imagine what's going through his head when he's talking to Pep with uh, all those tactical uh, nuances that are Pep Guardiola is, uh, is famous for? I'm sure he's enjoying his time. Yeah, he seems it. Some of the behind the scenes bits that Man City's social team puts up on Twitter are, are, are pretty great. Um, Jack Grealish always surprises me because he's got a very deep, brummy voice. <laughs> like not at all how how you would expect. There are a few a few football people in the Premier League whose voice do not match their look at all. Like Norwich's manager, have you heard him speak? Yeah, he, he looks like he'd have a much harder voice than he does. Yeah, well, Steve Bruce, same thing. Yeah, Steve Bruce too. Yeah, <laughs> we were talking Face about through an absolute hamburger grinder, and it's like Scott's is really soft. Yeah, well, when when he shows up at Norwich next season in the championship to, to yeah. bring them up. Yeah. Well, hopefully that's not the end of it for Steve Bruce. He did say that he did say that he, he, he truly felt this was the end for him in football and could see why he would feel that way or why it might be possible. There's a lot of, a lot of guys that are itching to get back in that are doing TV gigs and you'd think should be given a chance sooner rather than later. And he might fall into that category. Although yeah, I don't know I who's going to put him on TV. <laughs> All those great memories and hard-fought games for United took its yeah. toll on his face. Or Norwich. I actually watched him when I was a youth player. I was still on trial at Ipswich, and we we took the train to Norwich to watch Ipswich play against Norwich in the semi cup uh, semifinal of the League Cup. Okay. And Steve Bruce scored on a set piece, and they ended up they ended up going on to win that League Cup that year. Uh, but as our rivals, obviously, we were pretty disappointed. And then being in the stands and seeing what was going on back then in the 80s and the the darts being thrown and the coins and people being cut. And, oh, Jesus. I was like, wow, this is, this is exactly what I want to do, Donnie. 
<laughs> Leeds, 1-1 with Wolves. Leeds have been a streaky team this season, huh? Yeah. Trying to match what they did last year. Second year, right? We were talking about Bielsa too, right? A few seasons now at Leeds, like, this has message been lost almost a little bit. The team a bit tired. Like, he works these guys to the bone, right? Mm-hmm. They're still a good team, but they're not the threat they were last season. And I don't think the ground is the threat that we expected it to be, right? Yeah, I agree. I, I think that it's a fatiguing way to play. And unless you bring in fresh blood all the time, it's uh, you just notice that they're not at that same pace as they were last year. Yeah. Still exciting to watch, though. I love watching them. Love I watching them play. I do, too. Uh, some yeah. nice goals from Maxwell Cornet. Do you see Burnley 2, Southampton 2? Cornet yep. had a nice one. Burnley, always a team that uh, are going to give you a fight. And if you if you can't put the dagger in, which the Saints couldn't, then you're uh, going to come up short. So Burnley are a team always uh, up for taking points off you. Always. How about we end on, uh, or certainly talk about our women's national team? Please, yeah, yeah. On the uh, celebration tour, which is fantastic. I wish you would get even more uh, coverage. Me too. Because uh, it's a massive thing for them, considering they played the last 29 games, I believe, outside of the country. Mm-hmm. The last game was May 2019 uh, against Mexico, I believe. They won a 3 nothing at home. So a lot of time, a lot of games away, and you know that you miss that opportunity. So have them... Playing at home is a big thing for young football players to go and meet them, uh, listen to their message. And their message was also very important as part of the celebration as well as about transparency and some of the abuses that are happening in the sport and have happened in Canada as well. So good for them to uh, keep that voice going. And with the, with the attention that they're getting right now, uh, it's never been higher. So if you got a message to get out there and it's a good one, I think it's good for the, uh, the women's program to do this. Yeah, very well said. That group of players, a bunch of heroes on the pitch and and uh, huge role models off the pitch, and they recognize that, and they're taking, you know, the, the spotlight right now to to draw attention for not just mm-hmm. uh, not just the twenty four of them, twenty twenty seven of them, but for women's players uh, in in the women's game all all across. So yeah, very, yeah, very I mean, proud you know, of that. The, they want transparency and a safe place to play, mm-hmm. and uh, that's all they're looking for, and uh, and they deserve it, and uh, it shouldn't be uh, something that. Uh, we should be talking about it should be a, a, a given, but unfortunately it hasn't always been that way, but <laughs> keeping an eye on it and being better and transparent about these things are going to be a, a better for everybody and con- concerned. Well said. I'm really glad they got a, a good crowd too. It seemed like a, a chilly day, but a nice sunny day in Ottawa. They got a good crowd to, to watch a five, one drubbing of New Zealand who might regret having committed to, to being on the wrong end of this celebration tour. <laughs> Tricky time though, right? In the middle of, of the club season, you know, a few months removed from from the Olympics. Obviously, COVID and and just scheduling is a is a nightmare all around. So I'm really glad Canada Soccer was able to to get them together. You know, all, all of the those players in, involved in Tokyo to to be able to come together at the end of October and, and have a couple of games at home, celebrate with the family, inspire a new generation, get to have those face to face meetings on our uh, Footy Prime Twitter account. Great story of a a fan who showed up with a sign for Jesse Fleming and Jesse Fleming came over. She already had a shirt. Jesse Fleming came over and, and, and brought her the match shirt because she spotted the sign during play. So I love seeing stories like that. Yeah. Those girls are rock stars. I'm telling you, absolute rock stars. Yeah. Deservedly so. All right. El Clasico, buddy. Used to be filled with rock stars, but this is not the <laughs> Messi and Ronaldo era. Uh, that was uh, tweeted on a, the Footy Prime account on Sunday as well. Um, as uh, Real Madrid come out victors at 2-1. But I mean... Barca weren't really in it. Sergio Aguero scored in the 97th minute or whatever it was. Uh, Real Madrid, by far the, the better side between these two at the moment. Yeah, I'd rather watch uh, Real Sociedad play. <laughs> <laughs> League leaders, La Liga leaders, Real Sociedad. Yes, they are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a sad state, isn't it? When you're looking at Barcelona sitting in ninth spot and, you know, the El Clasico, how big it's always been. And it's at the moment. It's not what it was. It'll come back. It'll be back again. But for the time being, it's uh, a shadow of itself. I forgot it was on. <laughs> a lot of people did too. It was at 10 a.m. Eastern kickoff as well. So they were trying to get 
you know, an American audience before the NFL, perhaps. They've really catered a little bit, I think, their schedule to a, a global consumership. Um, and they, they've always had the late local kickoffs, I think, right? But you'll notice that it used to be Atletico, the bigger teams in those late kickoffs, and they're really kind of changing that up. So to to put a big game, I mean, also too, we do see uh, crowd trouble. The 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 desire to avoid crowd trouble dictate the kickoff times of these games. So could be a real element to that. Spain well, like, and also they, places they, a little uh, testy at the moment. Have this have a siesta in the afternoon. Nothing gets going there until midnight. <laughs> yeah, that too. That too. Uh, Eleven p.m. I got caught out a few times. First time I went to Spain with West Ham, I think I was smashed at nine o'clock, ten o'clock. Low mass was sideways nobody was around 11 o'clock nothing going on midnight now it's now everybody's Lomi. he can't even walk so he can't even and then everybody shows up to play it just everything's busy four five six in the morning it's really something yeah total opposite of england right where the pubs close at 11 if, if well that's lucky. why the guys get paralytic and the guy is like guys there's nothing that's going here till midnight idiots yeah it's a wild setup but hey man i think uh, our footy prime listeners will feel pretty lucky that they've had three big offerings our interview with victor montaliani's on youtube if you've not seen it you can see our pretty faces and there's an audio version here in your podcast thread as well if you've not downloaded that so thank you for liking and subscribing leave us a review give us five stars as uh bomani jones of espn says if you give us four stars we're inclined to believe you're a hater <laughs> so give us five stars and help us boost things up Well, I'll uh, end this by quoting another broadcasting legend, James Sharman. Cheers for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.